Welcome to Conversations with Dr. V, the EQ doctor, where we talk all things emotional intelligence. My name is Dr. V. I'm not going to lie. I'm about to use a less than reputable reference, but according to Urban Dictionary, mm -hmm, Google at your own risk, when you call on someone else to take the wheel, it means that things have gone completely awry and you are no longer in control. But today I'm talking about how you can remain in control even when you're on an unknown path or destination. Hey, hey, welcome back. Today, I'm talking about the second hardest thing to master outside of self-awareness, self-management. A pretty high degree of self-awareness is necessary for effective self-management because you can only make a choice in the way you respond to an emotion if you are aware of it. Think of self-awareness as the lens of self-management. When you're able to self-manage or self-regulate, you can be confident that you're not getting in the way of your success, success professionally, success personally in friendships, and even your romantic relationships. In the last episode of Conversations with Dr. V, I mentioned an EQ term called self-management. I think even without knowing what it means specifically, you probably have a pretty good idea about what it means, but that doesn't mean you know what there is to know to help you to be successful in this area of your life. And I hope you're down to talk about it because I am. Self-management is what you do and really it's what you don't do as well. Now, let me go ahead and make one thing very clear. You cannot even begin to think about managing your thoughts and actions if you aren't self-aware. I know I said it already. I'll probably say it another four or five times during this episode. If you haven't listened to the Man in the Mirror episode, I'm going to ask you to stop this one and listen to that one first and then come back because if you haven't had a chance to listen, you missed that foundational piece. So definitely go back, check out that episode if you haven't, and then come back and let's talk more about self-management. Now, if you are already up to speed and you're ready to learn more about self-management, let's keep going. Self-management is about you having the ability to use your awareness of your emotions and triggers which is something I discussed in the last episode, to direct your behavior and interactions in a positive way. I get that we don't always know how to respond in every situation, but once you understand and increase your comfort with what you are feeling, the most effective response will be better able to come to you. I really don't want you to think of self-management self solely as a way to address problematic behavior or to prevent yourself from flying off the handle when you're upset. While that's certainly a part of it, 
it's more important to think of self-management as a means of progressively developing positive responses to situations and perhaps looking at ways to decrease some of the negative impact you captured on maybe the tool that I shared from last episode. The biggest challenge most of us face in managing our tendencies over time is being able to apply proactive strategies in a variety of situations. Self-management is about knowing our strengths and weaknesses or our areas of growth. This is how we start to develop ourselves. Ultimately, we have to be able to place ourselves in a position to make our greatest contributions in life, whatever that is. But in order to be able to do that, again, you're going to have to have that sense of self-awareness and self-management so that you know those strengths and you know those weaknesses. Self-management is also about resisting automatic or momentary gratification in exchange for a positive outcome that supports the bigger picture. And because this is about working towards something greater, you may find yourself struggling with accepting that there's this kind of delay in your achievements. You may also test your patience. It may try to waver your commitment to someone or something, which leaves a huge opportunity for this to be the next most difficult area of emotional intelligence after you've been able to increase your self-awareness. Like I mentioned a little earlier, self-management is your ability to use awareness of your actions to strategically respond through words and actions. It's not quite as simple as refraining from flying off the handle and yelling or cursing at someone who made you angry. Possessing this skill will help, of course, but it's just as important to know what triggered that response in you than it is to handle it well. Because the truth is, if you can prevent and or lessen the number of times you're placed in a negative response position, the better. Let me use myself as an example for this one. In fact, I typically share this when I share my parental triggers with others. So let me see if I can break this down in a way that makes sense. So I'm a parent. I'm a parent of two really amazing humans. I have a daughter, Taylor, who is 21. And I have a son named Noah, who is nine. So here's what I know about myself as a parent. Not a single other place does this apply, but at home. Not my parents' home, not the neighbor's house, not at the office. Yep, just at home. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it when my kids leave a door open or like slightly ajar, just isn't closed all the way. Like the door to the laundry area or when the pantry door is halfway open or a cabinet door that's just not quite closed. I mean, I cannot, you guys, it irks my soul to the core. But here's what I know too. I know that only one of my kids is more prone to do this than the other. I'm not naming any names. 
And that at this point, not only is it one of the silliest things for me to lose my center of control over, but my kid also isn't going to change this habit for quite a few reasons. So in all seriousness, over the years, I came to realize that I could either change my response to a regular occurrence because realistically, I'm the only person that I can control even even as parents. Because if you're a parent, you are like, I'm in charge, right? And yes, to a certain degree, you are. However, the only person that you have complete control over is yourself. So I decided that I can continuously find myself irritated when I walk through the front door and find a door around the house that hasn't been closed because that's what's going to happen. Because I know what I know about the patterns of other people, i.e. my kids, and I know what I know about my own behavior and I know how I play a part in those situations. So I chose to take control of my wheel instead of spiraling into raised blood pressure or slight annoyance that can turn into more after I finish, you know, scolding the behavior, correcting the behavior. I could just take 30 seconds after I get home, right? And pulling into the garage, turn the engine off. I can just take 30 seconds to wrap my head around what I know that I need to accept and what I can expect when I walk into the house. I can sit in the car, I can process it, I can walk in, I can process it because I have mentally prepared myself, right? I've self-talked myself through it. I can ask for that door to be closed or I can close it myself and I can carry about my day without adding drama and or fuel to the situation. That, my friends, is the honest truth. And I can tell you something else. Ever since I started managing my own behavior in that way, I have to deal less and less with random open doors. Funny how that worked out. Some of you may have listened to my example and thought, well, isn't that a silly or simplistic example? And the answer is yes and yes. It is. It's so simple that it's silly, and it's so silly how simple it is. Emotional intelligence, or EQ, is a way of life. It's just a way of being. It's honestly a way to be a really good human. It's the way we go about our day-to-day. And I truly think that you'll start to see how so many of the things I discuss on this podcast can very easily be translated into other areas of your life. You know, when you're able to quickly gauge and monitor yourself, you'll be able to grab the wheel and regain control of your emotional output, hopefully before you're sent in the wrong direction or lose control completely. A quick self-assessment in the moment can allow you to be flexible and to choose positively and productively how to respond to situations. When you don't stop to think about your feelings, including how they influence your behavior, the same behaviors and scenarios will become patterns and be even more difficult to disrupt in your life. 
For some of you, you may know this to be true because it may have resulted in the loss of a job or a relationship with someone you care deeply about. Whether you are aware of it or not, your emotions will control you if you allow them to. Before you know it, you'll find yourself emotionally hijacked and barreling through the day recklessly reacting to your feelings. Oh, and trust me, because it isn't just about you, as you will come to see across episodes. Your ability to self-manage also helps prevent others from becoming frustrated with you to the point that they don't even like you. Mm -hmm. I can hear some of you right now saying, I don't care what other people think about me, and I get it. But to a degree... There's a need to care, and whether you care or not, people are writing a narrative about you with each encounter, and their perspectives are based solely on their reality of you, whether you agree with them or not. The emotionally intelligent thing to do is to use someone's perception feedback of you as a way to continue to grow in certain areas of your life. If you listened to the last episode, you heard me mention that my goal is to be able to share practical tools and strategies to go along with each episode whenever I can. So be sure to keep listening to the end of this episode to find out where to go to receive your free tool today. All right, let's get to it. This week, I'm sharing with you three fairly practical strategies for self-management. As I share these strategies, please keep in mind that self-management can only come after you've built on the foundational skill of self-awareness. These are all strategies that you can start doing today to help manage your emotions to your benefit. As you master each of these strategies and incorporate them into your daily routine, you will develop an increased capacity to respond effectively to your emotions. Of course, No matter how skilled you become in managing your responses, there's always going to be situations that push your buttons. I keep telling you that we are human. None of this is a magic trick that will remove all of those situations, but you will be equipped with some of the tools you need to take control of your wheel. All right, so the first strategy is to schedule your problem solving. Really, carve out 15 to 20 minutes on average of time to devote to thinking through the problem or challenge you are experiencing. Many of us try to solve problems while also doing or thinking about other things. Multitasking isn't usually helpful in general, and it certainly does not help when you need to solve a problem. If you think back to some of your most recent decisions, you most likely made them in a hurry or while distracted. These types of decisions are far less effective than the ones we make when we can sit down with a clear mind and plan for what happens next. And the only way you can make this happen is by scheduling that time during the day or week. Research shows that when we place items on our calendars, we're more likely to see them through and take action. So be sure that during this time, you are being really intentional that you are putting that time on your calendar. And one of the most important things you can also do is be sure to turn off your electronics. 
get quiet, and just think. I also recommend writing your thoughts out. Those things like writing or journaling help to keep you focused on the issue at hand and the best way to respond. And this can also help when you get those kind of muddling and mingling of thoughts and emotions. It'll help keep those down to a minimum and again, focused. The second strategy is to improve your sleep hygiene. I think I shared on another episode that I am a night owl. I can't explain it. It's like I get my second wind late at night. I gain newfound energy. I'm, I definitely think I'm um, most creative and centered at night. But in saying that, I also recognize that I have to delicately construct what this means for me. I know that even though I seem to thrive in the late hours of the night, that I cannot consistently go, go, go without recharging and getting the rest I need. So even though I'm really creative at night, I am thriving and living my best life at that time. I also tend to get up early in the morning, so it's important that I do recharge. There comes a point where all of us have to disconnect from the day and what has happened. Basically, self-management requires some patience, flexibility, and maybe even more importantly, alertness. None of which you can have without the sleep your body needs. Everyone's sleep needs are different, so me trying to give you advice on how many hours of sleep you should be getting isn't going to happen. Not telling you seven hours and not telling you eight, it's really up to you and you having that sense of self-awareness about what you need. So let me clear that up. All the hours of sleep in the world will never equal self-management. If only it was that easy. But we know that improved sleep will increase your chances of quality decision making. Most of you probably know that when we sleep, our bodies start doing this like self-healing process and our minds shut down and recharge. Our brains process thoughts and sift through the events of the day. Um, Our brain works on coding our responses and discarding certain information that it no longer needs um, and perhaps has been traumatic. It's a truly transformative time that takes place each night. Now, improving your sleep hygiene isn't as simple as just going to bed at a decent hour. It does involve a few steps, like making sure you get your vitamin D through sunlight exposure first thing in the morning. Um, One of the first things I do is I get up in the morning and I'm like immediately stepping outside on my balcony. It's so important to take a few deep breaths of fresh air if possible and allow your body to soak in natural light. Even on days that are really cloudy, it's still going to do your body some good to be out there with air and whatever natural light is possible. Now, realistically, I don't always have a lot of time in the mornings. I mentioned, you know, I'm getting up early. I have some pretty long days, so I might not have a lot of time, Um, although I do seem to have more time than I ever did now, um, just given the current situation. 
I'd really recommend somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes of natural light and air. And you really want to have this happen before noon because it's allowing your mind and your body some time to signal that um, natural response that occurs when we're trying to make sense of day and night, right? Like it's it's early enough for me to be vibrant and alert and want to keep going. And you're trying to pump that fuel and energy into yourself. Um, you can think of it like an inner clock that helps signal when it's time to be active and when it's time to begin to wind down. Um, Now, for the next one, I can foresee the cringes or raised eyebrows. Um, The third tip is to shut down electronics a few hours before bedtime. Two hours is pretty solid amount of time, and if you can manage at least an hour, that works too. Um, The thinking behind this is twofold. It's that there's this light that I mentioned um, just a a bit ago about being a stimulant. So although the light from, you know, your electronics, your phone, your TV, it's an artificial light, it still impacts the brain and the body's ability to shut down. And if there's anything exciting happening, say, on a television or your computer, then the sound will also impact your ability to disconnect. I completely understand that we are in a very technologically driven world and we have TV and social media to compete with. Trust me, I, I, I don't even hit the two hour mark as often as I'd like to, but I do try to make a conscious effort to disconnect from light sources when it's time to call it a night. And I can certainly tell the difference when Um, I don't do that. It's a lot harder for me to shut my brain down and my body down and to get the rest that I need. Okay, so next up is one of my favorite ways to improve sleep hygiene, and that is to make sure you are only using your bed for sleeping. I mean, anyway, what I'm trying to say is please stop working in your bed If you work in your bed, stop it right now. You probably don't even realize that this impacts your ability to have a restful sleep. I've heard a lot of conversation about also keeping the TV out of your room and I have pretty mixed emotions. Personally, I have a television in my room. I don't watch much television overall, no matter where I am in the house. Um, but when I'm in my bedroom, I do tend to watch from a chair versus my bed. That's probably just my way of refraining from lounging around in bed all day. If I choose to watch TV, I feel a little bit better about it. I don't know if it really makes me feel better or not, but it works. And ultimately it comes down to just being observant about your personal needs, your habits, and your patterns and making choices that are right for you. Again, taking control of the wheel. The next step is to lay off the caffeine. Sodas, teas, coffee should be pretty much off limit past noon. And I know that's challenging. Most of us are maybe drinking a soda or having a cup of coffee or a nice tea past noon. I love a good Pepsi, chai tea latte. 
Cafe Bustelo. I'm here in South Florida. So Cafe Bustelo as much as the next person, but I've been studying my responses to these things so much so that I don't drink Pepsi except maybe one to two times a year ever. I reserve my chai tea lattes to early weekend mornings a few times a year and my coffee. Okay, well, my coffee, that's pretty much daily, but my intake is small and I'm certainly not drinking Cafe Bustelo past 11 a.m. or I will be up all night. What I just talked about, though, is that level of self-awareness I've created in this area and how I have resolved to behave in a way that positively impacts my life. Um, And that's on something as simple as caffeine intake. So let's see. I think that was like four fairly low intensity ways to build up to improve sleep hygiene. Some of you may disagree with that last one talking about limiting your caffeine, but everything I'm sharing with you is a positive one that will help improve your sleep. So the last strategy I want to share with you is to find value in your encounters. On my social media page, I once posted something about being able to learn from the people that you engage with on a daily basis and that everyone has something to teach us. Beyond that, I bet you can think of a time when someone put you on the defensive. I mean, I think we all can. It could have been a time when someone questioned your intentions, which personally I dislike. Um, or criticized you for something that um, happened at work or that you did at work. And these are the exact moments that present themselves as opportunities to learn from other people. These are growth opportunities. When we're able to do this, we remain open-minded and flexible. And this is one of my actual favorite strategies of all time. You know, I don't know about you guys because I don't know where you're listening from, but here in South Florida, traffic and other people's driving can be interesting and challenging and frustrating. So one of the things that I think of is, um, you know, when the next time someone cuts you off on the road, try considering what this person can teach you other than how to expertly use a few choice words. Like within this experience, is it possible for you to increase your patience with irritating people? Or how about um, giving pause to wonder if there's an underlying reason for the reckless driving? Are they rushing to get somewhere um, to someone that they care about who's in danger? What is it? Um, And and no, that definitely does not mean that there's always a good reason because there isn't always a good reason. But the one thing that there is always a good reason is for us to walk away from something having learned something. Maybe you just decide from this situation that you have a sense of gratitude that you remain safe or that you aren't in as big of a hurry as that person was. I bet you'll find it more difficult to be upset stressed, or defensive when you approach situations while looking for something to learn. Whether you learn from the feedback you receive or someone else's actions, keeping a learning mindset is the way to keep control 
of yourself to take the wheel. I'd like to leave you with this gentle reminder that when you are able to manage your thoughts and actions, you're also able to see things through to the end without wavering and that success comes to those who can put their needs on hold and continually manage their tendencies. If you would like to receive your free tool to accompany this episode, please visit bit.ly slash take the wheel 20. Again, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash take the wheel 20. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Conversations with Dr. V. In between episodes, you can catch me on social media at Default2Happy, except for Twitter, where it's at Hello Dr. V. You can also visit my website at www.default2happy.com. Until next time, be well.